Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Hey, Jeff, welcome back to Cut for Time. Hey, Claire, thanks. Good to be with you. Yeah. Is it fall or summer? I'm not sure. Uh, oh. 50, 70, 40, 80, whatever. Um, it's just beautiful, beautiful. out. So beautiful. Thankful for the fall colors. Agreed. Um, well, you got to preach from uh, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, an incredible yeah. conversion story. Um, and so why don't you just give us a recap and then we're able to... Uh, dive into some of the questions I have for you today. Yeah, great. Yeah, so we're continuing the story in the book of Acts, and uh, we've seen how God's people have been sown, uh, spread out from Jerusalem because of opposition to the gospel, and that's actually led to the gospel advancing even more uh, into people groups and places that hadn't been reached with the good news of Jesus. But in the same way, the opposition and the persecution expands too. So we briefly met this character, Saul, in chapter 7 and 8, when Stephen was um, preaching the gospel and martyred for his faith. And Saul is there approving of Stephen's death. And uh, then he's going from house to house and persecuting Jesus' followers. And now he's gotten authority from the church leaders in Jerusalem to go to Damascus and find more followers of the way, uh, which is an interesting little side note that we had to, I had to cut for time. So I hope we can get to that yeah. uh, to persecute followers of the way when suddenly he's confronted on the way to lead Jesus people off to death by the risen Jesus. And in uh, what often happens in the Bible, when people are confronted with even just a, a little bit of God's glory and presence, Saul uh, like falls to the ground and uh, cries out, oh, Lord, who are you? And Jesus says, I'm, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Saul is left in blindness to go into Damascus, where he stays for several days, um, not eating or drinking anything. And so... I think we're meant to understand Saul is just kind of left with his thoughts. He has to reconsider things that he thought he knew and that he thought he was right about. And so this is, yeah, probably the most dramatic conversion uh, story in the New Testament. And yet it's not, I said, it's not what we would necessarily call a pattern for conversion or change, but it does have the elements that God works through. Uh, when he changes us. And and so it's relevant, not just for coming to faith in Christ, but for our whole life of walking with Jesus. Um, we will often, I will often end up in a place where I think I know what God's doing and what he's like and what he wants from me. And I'm, you know, maybe I'm really convinced of it and not in some, you know, uh, outrageous, persecuting, hateful way necessarily that Saul is doing, but God has to confront me with himself and the truth. And then in that moment, I have to decide what I do with that. Uh, I'm, I'm confronted with the truth, and that calls for a reorientation of my perspective on God and myself, which leads ultimately to a new kind of a new or renewed foundation of an uh, identity, who my identity is in Christ and who I am. 
which is really encouraging and hopeful that, you know, Jesus meets Saul, this horrible opponent and persecutor on the road to Damascus and doesn't blast him. He doesn't come at him with judgment and condemnation. He actually pursues him with love and grace and kindness. And he does that in our lives too, which is just so hopeful and encouraging. Like if, Mm -hmm. if Saul of all people on, you know, at the outward level, uh, who looks like a religious, upstanding, moral, Bible-knowing, you know, God-zealous God-follower, if, if Saul needs conversion, then I need Jesus too. But that also means if Saul is not beyond Jesus' rescue and change, then I'm not either. So it ultimately ends up being, I think, really hopeful and encouraging for us. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Jeff, why did it have to be a blinding? Why? Mm. What is it about being blinded, not mm. um, deaf or lame or ill or diseased? You know, mm. that. Yeah, I I think there is something uh, to a lot of commentators looking at this passage and and bringing out how often physical blindness is used as an image for spiritual blindness. And so I, I think it's likely that Jesus is blinding Saul, maybe even a, you know, as a Pharisee, someone who knows the scriptures inside and out. Uh, he knows how often God talks about people who have hardened their hearts against him as being spiritually blind. Uh, just like when Isaiah has this vision and of God in his glory in the temple, high and lifted up, and uh, God commissions Isaiah to go to this people whom God says are ever seeing but never perceiving. In other words, the, the physical blindness is, is a reflection of the interior spiritual reality of this man's heart and life. But I think there's something more to it also in that uh, it's not just blinding, but he also is not eating or drinking anything for three days. And I think there's there's something going on there. Uh, it's not just, well, Saul's blinded, and then he repents, and then his sight is restored. Uh, I think Jesus leaves him in this place of, again, you know, where the physical and the spiritual are kind of paralleling each other. There's a barrenness there. There's there's nothing, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're if you're blinded suddenly, you, you, you're not in charge of where you're going. You're totally dependent on other people. You don't well, have any... Yeah. Yeah, you don't have any distractions even. Like he's not even distracting himself with food and drink. And fasting like this in the Bible is, again, often a picture of humility and repentance and really being serious about seeking the Lord. Like Mm -hmm. I'm this physical discipline of my body is meant to reflect uh, a, a a spiritual humbling and and seriousness and uh saying i'm uh, you know i'm so i'm so intent on hearing from god and pursuing him and understanding him that this is going to be my only focus mm-hmm. and the hunger reminds me that i'm supposed to be hungering for god and yeah. and i and i think that that's meant to indicate both the seriousness of saul's intent uh, and the seriousness of his situation, if I can, if I can put it that way. Yeah. Uh, and that probably in that time, he's going back and having to reassess all these things that he thought he knew for certain about who God is and what God is like and the way God works and what God's Messiah looks like and what it means to be someone favored by God. Uh, and he's, I think, in that time doing a lot of soul searching and probably scripture searching. 
Yeah. He's learning what this new way is the, the yes. way. Um, and so why don't you, you talked about this being something you had to cut from the sermon, which is part of verse two. It says that he was told to keep a lookout for anyone belonging to the way. Tell us more about that. Yeah. Oh, man, that's just, I think this is just one of those great little gems that, that Luke puts in the book of Acts for us to kind of discover and, and ponder and reflect on. So there's, it's this great, if you think about it, there's this awesome little parallelism going here. Saul is on his way. He's on a path, not just to Damascus, but a path of anger and hatred and vengeance and punishment and destruction, right? And he's going to look for the people who are followers of Jesus' way, who are the exact opposite of that, right? Like people whose lives are at least meant to be shaped by Jesus kingdom values of humility and kindness and gentleness and praying for enemies and blessing those who persecute us and turning the other cheek. And so Saul is going a certain way to find the people of the way and Jesus interrupts him to put him on a different way. And so that in itself is just a cool little uh, parallel that Luke has going on there. But I think that the, the bigger significance is that when Luke talks about uh, the disciples of the Lord in verse one as followers of the way, people who belong to the way, it's reminding us that following Jesus isn't, Christianity isn't primarily about having a set of doctrines that we agree to mentally or knowing the right things about Jesus. It's about a way of life. It's a literally a discipleship to Jesus. It's yeah following with Jesus. Yeah, it's walking with Jesus in order to be like him. Just like Jesus said, you know, no, no disciple is greater than his master, but he becomes like his master, he becomes like his teacher. That's the whole reason we're following Jesus so that we can grow to reflect more and more of what he's like in our life. So the, the all of this is tied up in that great little phrase, the, the people who belong to the way. And I belong to that way, right? In the same way that I belong to Jesus, that the way of Jesus is what I've identified with and what shapes my life now. That, again, is about an alternate kingdom of peace-seeking and love, forgiveness, kindness, joy, gentleness, uh, that Saul is, has no conception of at this point. Uh, and, and that's part of, I think, what he is having to wrestle with and re-examine in this period of darkness and fasting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. So a verse that stood out to me is verse five. Um, and Saul says, and who are you, Lord? And he responds, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Um, well, we know that it wasn't physically Jesus because Jesus has risen and he right. already endured his persecution or his the crucifixion. And so um, here we see Jesus identifying with the church and identifying mm. with the believers mm. and it just reminded me of Matthew 25 um mm. <laughs> Matthew 25 verses 35 to 40 say um for when I was hungry and you gave me something to eat I was thirsty and you gave me mm. something to drink I was a stranger and you invited me in and so on and then 
they say, when did we see you? Like, when did we feed you or give you something to drink? I don't remember this at all. And he said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And so there's this pattern of seeing Jesus identify with the weak or those in need. Mm. Um, and so I was just mm-hmm. wondering if you could just like unpack the theology behind that a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Well, yeah, let me just pull out my systematic book and I, this whole chapter on, yeah, no, I mean, there really, there are whole volumes written on this. So we'll, we'll try and do obviously kind of a, a brief summary. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think you, you pointed out the, the main thing there, which is that, and and even just as I was looking at it again today, not just once, but twice, Jesus says, you're persecuting me, Saul. Uh, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So there's this double identification, you know, this repeated identification of Jesus with his suffering brothers and sisters. Uh, and and so at the most, I guess, I don't know, basic level, maybe we'd say it's a reminder of what we've been seeing through the book of Acts, that Jesus is dwelling in his people by his spirit. You know, at one level, again, it's a reminder that Christianity is not primarily a set of beliefs to hold or moral code to follow. It's a relationship that we experience with a living Lord by his spirit who actually comes to to dwell in us so that we are now, it's almost, it almost sounds like blasphemous or outrageously, but we are the dwelling place of God on earth, right? Like that, that's why Jesus was saying, like, you can tear down this temple of mine, meaning his body, and I will rebuild it. And yes, Jesus will be raised in three days. But then that imagery gets picked up in the rest of the New Testament. We are the temple of God individually, but even more so corporately as as brothers and sisters together. We are where God lives in this world. And um, Hmm. that that's that's. awesome. It's kind of overwhelming. It's encouraging. So, I mean, it's a reminder. I think I even said, you know, uh, something like this in the sermon, like that the place where we will see Jesus in this world is in the community of his followers. Like that, that's literally where we see Jesus because that's where his spirit is alive and working. And so, I mean, beyond just even that, which is awesome enough, but then for Jesus to say, um, especially in the context of suffering and persecution and difficulty for following him, that Jesus says, you are persecuting me because you're doing it to my body. I mean, that's the other image, the other controlling image of God's people in the New Testament, isn't it? It is the body. We are the body of Christ. And so Jesus himself can say, in a sense, when when my people, my brothers and sisters are suffering, you're you're persecuting me, you're harming me. And he there, there's such a, a solidarity and identification of Jesus with his people that's so profoundly encouraging. I mean, it's just amazing that, that Jesus is saying, not only I know and I see and I understand, but I'm experiencing it with you in some way. I, I am with you in that suffering and I, I bear it with you and I bear you up in it. And um, I, I think it also uh, points us maybe to um, 
you know, when, when Paul writes in Romans 12 about, uh, you know, the exhortations to live at peace with one another, and as, as far as it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, but leave vengeance to the Lord. Le leave room for the Lord to do what he needs to do to bring about justice, because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. So I think there's maybe even a little a hint or suggestion here that Jesus, <laughs> when Jesus is saying to us all, you're persecuting me, it's a reminder that, yes, I'm the one in this body and in this life that may suffer persecution or sorrow or trouble or difficulty in, in some way for following Jesus, not like most of our brothers and sisters in the world. But whenever that does happen, it's happening to Jesus and, and he knows. and he will be the one to judge rightly what should be done with that. I, I don't have to, and I'm not called to seek vengeance, uh, to, to demand that, you know, we, I experience justice for suffering for Jesus in this life, but because mm. that's just the path of following Jesus in discipleship is taking up our crosses and, and following him mm. in just the same way that he faithfully obeyed the father and all that he was called to do. Mm -hmm. And calls us to be willing to deny ourselves uh, and patiently and faithfully endure with hope in Jesus' ultimate knowledge and ultimate justice of those things. And that takes the pressure off of me um, and, and helps me, in a sense, put to death that kind of, you know, fleshly desire to exact vengeance and to make people acknowledge what they've done wrong and, and to remind myself, well, if they're persecuting me because I'm a Christian, they're really doing it to Jesus. And he he can deal with it in his own time and in his own yeah. way. Yeah, uh, I I think it's also, you know, it, it uh, your comment reminding remembering Matthew 25. Uh, yeah, there's this whole other thread of Jesus identifying with his people that shows up in different places in the New Testament too. Like I'm thinking of um, like Paul in um, the, this man, Saul, who's going to become the apostle Paul, writes uh, towards the end of Colossians 1, um, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Mm-hmm. So here's Paul like, wait a minute, something's lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the church? I mean, theologically, salvation, no, of course not. But I think what Paul is getting at here is, because he goes on to say, of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. So, so Paul's saying in this idea of, you know, I'm, I'm filling up in my suffering what is lacking or incomplete in Christ's suffering is, I think what he's getting at is the, the only way the gospel goes forward is by the people of God taking that message up and spreading it and sharing it in all the places that we go. And just like Jesus and just like Paul and just like Peter and John and Stephen and almost everyone else in the New Testament— we may very likely encounter suffering, hostility, persecution, rejection for the cause of Christ. And if so, that means we're simply filling up the, the suffering in our bodies that are just part and parcel 
of the gospel going out into the world. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it's going to hate you. Now, that, that doesn't mean we look for reasons to, you know, antagonize people or give reasons, pe give people reasons to hate us for, you know, for being rude or arrogant or anything. But just the, the preaching of the gospel and the calling of people to repentance, it offends our pride. And, and there's going to be some kind of offense there. And so Paul, you know, you think about the other passages where he talks about, um, you know, not boasting, but just recounting as a validation of his uh, credibility as a minister of Jesus, all that he has suffered. Yeah. You know, stoned half to death, uh, shipwrecked for a day and night in the open sea, um, rejected in the city and rejected in the town and opposed by brothers within and without and, and you know, suffering and torment. And, uh, you know, I beat my body to make it my slave for obedience to Christ. I mean, here's a man who can honestly say, I have left nothing, uh, you know, on the table. I, I've invested it all. I've given it all. And, and I've willingly suffered for Christ for the sake of bringing the gospel to people. And when we do that, when we experience that, it's a reminder that Jesus is with us in that and, and that we are the means, if we are Christ's body, then just as if Jesus were here physically on earth, still going around preaching the gospel of the kingdom and doing good and blessing and serving others and pointing people to the hope in Christ, we are liable to receive rejection and hostility. And that's what it means to fill up in our bodies that which is the, the only reason it's lacking is because everyone hasn't heard the message yet. Right. So that's tied up with that whole vision of, you know, the, the gospel has to be preached to the ends of the earth. And as that happens, there's going to be suffering and persecution. And we just expect that and we accept it as what it means to follow Jesus. It's, it, we accept it as part of the way, right? That's right. That's, that's exactly right. And part of the way that includes not retaliating, not no longer an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but blessing for cursing and praying for those who despise us and turning the other cheek and loving enemies and seeking to do good even to the people. I mean, it's like the example of Stephen, right? As he's being martyred, praying, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. I mean, I I think I mentioned in the sermon, I, I'm I'm Saul was at that event, right? As Stephen is dying and almost certainly heard him praying for the people who were persecuting him. And I think Saul had to wrestle with the fact, I don't love people like that. I've n I can't, I don't love enemies like that. Is that what it means to really know God? If so, I, that's a totally different way of thinking about what it means to know and, and follow the Lord. And I have to take that into account now. Uh, in my understanding of what it means to really follow the Lord. Uh, mm. So that's, you know, it's a good reminder for us. I mean, I look at Stephen's martyrdom and say, I don't think I love enemies at that level. And it's humbling and it forces me to go back and acknowledge that before Jesus and help him see the ways that even in small places, like, <sighs> you and I were talking a bit about this offline, I think, right? Like Saul is an extreme example. Okay. It's like, none of us are probably, I mean, hopefully 
going out and like hating and torturing and killing and persecuting other people, right? So what does this have to say to me? Well, you know, it does make me think about what are the small ways that I make life miserable maybe for other people? Maybe sometimes unintentionally, maybe sometimes in a moment of anger or frustration, you know, where I just, you know, spew something out without thinking, yeah. not under control of the spirit. And it's, you know, it's an expression of that kind of, you know, the, the, the kind of uh, ugliness that Jesus lifts the lid off of, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just about not murdering people. You know, if I say, you fool in my heart. If I'm angry with my brother, I'm liable. I've broken the commandment and, and I'm liable to judgment. And that's the kind of stuff that I think from this example of Saul, from the elements that are present in how God is changing him that are still relevant for us, right? Like, oh, I need to let God confront me with the ways on a smaller scale, hopefully, I can still reflect, you know, anger, resentment, bitterness, jealousy, um, discontent with, you know, what God has provided. And those are things that God wants me to see and acknowledge and reorient myself around so that he can change me and remind me of who I am in him and help me walk in the, the fullness and the joy and the life of that. Yeah, that's a great place to end. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you for yeah. unpacking that for us. Thank you, Claire. Yeah, it's a, it's a great passage. There's a, a lot going on there, and it was fun to dig into. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.